Five o'clock on the Blitz. Work is over. It's time to let that bird fly. Free that bird, boys. Happy Thursday, everyone. Hope you had a great Valentine's Day. This is a Thursday edition of the show here on the Blitz 1170 and streaming on the Blitz 1170 app. I am Colby Daniels, along with the 2023 Oklahoma Sportscaster of the Year, Jeremy Poplin, Scott File on the other side of the glass in the Tulsa Oilers Hockey Studio. And we welcome in Colin Kennedy with SoonersIllustrated.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. Colin, what is happening on this Thursday, my friend? Uh, you know me, fellas, just another day of being a degenerate out here trying to make it and experimenting with new caffeinated sort of products and, and nonsense and trying to get to the weekend before I go out and do more of my job stuff. So, you know, another day of trying to be a professional. Do you have a nice peaceful coffee today instead of maybe having somebody try and uh, try and get you to sign them to a 24-7 sports deal? <laughs> I did, and it it was one of those things where once I didn't get bothered at the coffee shop today, I was like, man, what what a wide-open day. I'm such full of optimism right now as far as what the rest of the, the day can hold, and uh, left the coffee shop, tried out some caffeine gum for the first time. And I don't know. I'm bouncing off the walls right now because not only did I get in my full intake of caffeine, but I didn't get verbally berated by some random person at a, at a public area. So uh, I guess my question for you is, knowing that you are a uh, caffeine lover, is the coffee shop a daily stop for you, or have you started to experiment with caffeine on the home front, such as crafting your own cold brew and things of the like, or are you just mainly, I'll just stick with the coffee shops? No, so here's the thing. It's actually kind of the opposite of the problem. So when I'm at home, the the issue that I face is that I'm the kind of guy who makes the full pot of coffee and then proceeds to drink the full pot of coffee. Yeah. And that can that can be a problem, right? And so I, sometimes I need to literally leave my house to prevent myself from downing. I, I don't know if you believe whether or not the side marker on the pot actually is particular cups total of coffee but if i do believe it to be that way then that's usually an alarming amount to start my day so in other words i'm leaving my house so that i don't consume just ridiculous amounts of caffeine all in one sitting and i don't have to make it so in the other part of that too obviously when you work from home or on the road being out of the coffee shop gets you out and about you can try some different stuff and so usually it's kind of like my change of pace rather than just a consistent thing for me to go to a coffee shop and space out a little bit but i i I was afraid that i was going to have the whole like ptsd vibe after the incident that took place at this exact coffee shop and i decided you know what i need to bucket i need to go ahead and get settled back into what my change of pace setting is and it was a necessary step in the right direction of recovery today. But here's there. but the problem is though is like because I'm like you, um, I'll drink the whole damn pot, and uh, we go through an obscene amount of cold brew at home. Mm. Um, but I get to work, dude, and there's the community coffee pot, and it doesn't matter if it's 110 outside or not. If there's coffee on the pot and I walk by, <laughs> your boy here is getting a cup. 
It's just a matter of fact. I mean, there there are times, and and even if there's not, like I'll pop in a K cup that's that's here in the lounge, and I, I'll get home sometimes and realize, like, not only did you have coffee in the morning, but then you probably had like six more cups of coffee or seven cups of coffee a day just because it's the community coffee pot. Like, it's a serious problem. And that's why for me, like, because I'm I'm the exact same way. I'm a big hot coffee drinker in the morning and then I use that as an excuse to, Oh, well maybe you deserve like a cold brew or something in the afternoon. It's getting a little warmer. You got to settle into your environment, get the gears going for the afternoon. And then all of a sudden I've consumed like 450 milligrams of caffeine and it's not even one o'clock. Right. You're Dan so then, Campbell's brother. <laughs> <laughs> so that Dan Campbell, while he's calling me for advice on how to handle caffeine, I'm trying to figure out other ways to not completely destroy my heart and overall the, uh, the artery systems that I have going at least for the time being. And so like today I went to CVS and I was like, all right, I got to figure out other ways for my caffeine addiction to be treated. But at the same time, maybe like not consume a ridiculous amount within the span of six hours or less. So I tried out, I found this like neuro gum and it's got like a hundred milligrams, 80 milligrams of caffeine in it. You take two pieces and I'm feeling great right now after my coffee shop excursion and then immediately taking in those two pieces of gum. I think this is a combo that's going to work for me now because I feel like it's <laughs> yeah. going to be something that I can I can utilize while I'm on the road working, or maybe I can just have a couple pieces of gum rather than, like, as we've discussed, consuming even more coffee in the hours of the afternoon. But here's the so problem, So you went and got Colby. a coffee, and then you added the caffeine gum to the equation. So what is what is the equivalent Colby, of the caffeine it's a, it's gum? A like problem. But, dude, here's the the problem with the gum. Because, Colin, I know the gum you're talking about, and the problem is you pop the gum in, and you're like, this is delicious, but it kind of has the flavor profile after a couple of minutes of chewing. Like, like, all right, the flavor profile's gone. Now I need another. Like it, and it yep. just—it's just an ongoing cycle over and over and over. It's, what is as, one piece of gum the equivalent of, though? Is it like one cup of coffee, or? I, I think so. I think okay. so. I. Let me see if I can find the nutrition label or something. I don't even know where I put it. But anyways, I uh, yeah, it was something I had to work with today because I was like, the other part of this equation as well is, <laughs> as we've discussed, if you're doing what we do, right, if like you're someone like me and Pop who is consuming a ridiculous amount of caffeine, like you're also spending a ridiculous amount of money. And I've, ex- I've experimented with different options like, I don't know, uh, energy drinks that I like down here because you'd rather not pay five, six dollars every time you need some caffeine. But I, I thought, hey, for three dollars for caffeine gum seems like a pretty good option yeah. as opposed to the six dollar cold brew over at Starbucks. All right. So we got. Let's see. It looks like roughly, oh, they're not giving you an exact amount of caffeine. Oh, that's a problem. So this one I says 40, 40 milligrams of caffeine, according to this right now. Because uh, the brand I'm using right now is NeuroGum. That's what, it, what it's called. Yeah, and that's that's on the, the one I'm looking at. It's 40 milligrams, which, Colin, is the equivalent to a full shot of espresso in terms of okay. caffeine. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. This is fantastic right. news I just learned. Yeah, it says natural... <laughs> Natural caffeine at a fraction of the cost. <laughs> no, what I mean, look, this is efficiency right now, gentlemen. Live in the flesh, I'm showing everybody how much of a problem I have and also how cost efficient I can be, which it, 
I think is an accomplishment. It's bad. Um, at my previous job, we had a an affiliation with Bang Energy Drink, and uh, I know there for a while I was on. I was on four a day of the cans of Bang, and I thought you have a problem, sir. And I had to, I had to quickly wean myself off of the three to four cans of Bang energy drink a day. <laughs> okay, so okay. On that same note, this is another thing that made me want to switch it up because I was like, all right, I can't be doing the coffee stuff too much, right? Maybe I'll try it with energy drinks. And then I learned very quickly if you think you're going to consume even one energy drink and sleep an ounce, you know, past one o'clock or. 12 in the middle of the day that's just simply not going to happen and i I'll, okay you guys are out in tulsa so you'll appreciate this there is one branded quick trip of an energy drink called Zions. it is my favorite yeah. energy drink on the market fantastic the cherry lime flavor is like you're going to sonic and then all of a sudden you feel really good afterwards like strangely good but I drink that because it's a little bit less caffeine and it's got l-theanine which helps me focus and if you can't tell sometimes I have a serious issue with that. Now, the problem is then that's great until it inevitably wears off at like 3.40 in the morning and I haven't slept an ounce. Hence, me trying out the gum today because it's supposed to help me focus and now it's really helping me focus on the problem that I have. So this is great. <laughs> uh, I'm looking I'm just here. i you know, by this time next week, I will also be giving you a, my review of the gum. So you've sold me. Uh, hey man, CBS. I think it, it's around. Like we should all we should all pop some gum and then get into the existential crisis that is life, because inevitably that's where the this gum is going to lead us. <laughs> I just looked at one can of Bang and the the flavor that I liked here. It says it has three hundred milligrams of caffeine. <laughs> so, God. so basically, I don't know how my heart didn't explode. Like, 1200 milligrams of caffeine a day yeah totally checked out yeah for so just eat the whole pack of gum yeah pretty much pretty much that was the case um i i did want to ask you a question and before we dive in in anything oklahoma sooner related um this is more off of a topic that we were having earlier around nil and you kind of live in this world a bit and i know that it sucks up a a lot of your attention uh during the recruiting front but our discussion was kind of on Today, Mike Boynton, Oklahoma State basketball coach, was talking about how he needed more investment from an NIL front, that they're on the low end of the Big 12. Um, this becomes more of a topic because it just seems like it's, it's encompassing everything in collegiate athletics. And you live it way more than we do. How much of all of this is actually true compared to some of the hyperbole that you read online? But in your line of work through recruiting, how... How overwhelming is the NIL world and NIL discussion that takes place with the people that you interact with? I mean, it's, it's a completely unregulated market that now consumes one of the largest revenue drawers in all of sport. Like, it's complete chaos that no one discusses. And that's a very serious problem. And I've learned a lot about it. And at the same time, I feel like I still have learned nothing about it because again we're talking about something that consumes an entire sport full of young men who probably have not ever learned how to regulate this stuff or navigate it there are probably a lot of people in their camp who are not going to be of any help and maybe of less help and even if they do have help there's still an overlying issue which is the fact that name image and likeness 
is just completely unregulated and inconsistent across the board. And I'll tell you this, like, I think some of the numbers and some of the payouts and all that nonsense, like it's completely overblown in public media. And people think that these players are making like $20 million to stay at Ohio state or something like you see these ridiculous posts, but it's very real. Like it, it's something that is consistently now shaping collegiate athletics because at the end of the day, a lot of these athletic departments are generating record revenue in a world where it's hard to generate record revenue in anything at all ever. And because of that, there is a level of awareness for these players being like, all right, well then give me a cut of that. And that can't happen. And so I think the problem that we face on Mike Boynton's note, and you see these types of discussions pop up from coaches across all of college sports. It's like, okay, we need more support. What does that mean? The problem that we're facing, guys, in college athletics right now is that because the NCAA has worked so tirelessly to screw everything up and complete this complete dissociation of the entities and the organizations to the players, essentially what we have here are donors and business owners paying the salaries for college programs. And I think that's a huge issue. I think it's something that should be allowed naturally i'm all for players getting a cut of the the wealth that's generated because again it, it just simply doesn't happen without those contributions but at the same time again because we are still dealing with the world of quote-unquote amateur sports the ncaa is refusing any sort of intermingling between the organization, and again, the players who are part of the organization, which just does not make any sense in any professional industry at all ever. You can't tell me one space in all of human existence where the place you are employed does not talk to you at all, and you're not supposed to get any money, money from them, but you're supposed to do all the work. And so that, that leaves a ton of pressure on the people who, quite frankly, should more so have the option to contribute rather than being the sole source of revenue on that front but like Mike Boynton's 100% right in my like whether fans want to hear it or not I'm here to tell you objectively when a lot of these coaches say they need more support they're not lying like what what incentive would they have to lie right now because I can tell you there are a couple of prominent SEC programs that I will not name that are struggling immensely in the name image and likeness front so much so to the point where there are a lot of us folks behind the scenes who are kind of plugged into this stuff who are starting to legitimately wonder whether or not they're going to be able to keep up and maybe even like collapse to a little bit of a degree in this new age look of the sport and the super conference that is going to be the sec and like again this is a prominent program and it, it applies to more than one in college football i can't imagine what it's like for a lot of other programs in college basketball, college baseball, college softball. Like I know LSU, LSU baseball, from what I have heard, has an NIL program and set up similar to and maybe even better than some lower to mid-tier Power 5 programs. And, again, that's where, number one, you see this type of discussion come from guys like Mike Boynton who are legitimately telling you for a reason – more money is good money in any situation. More money is good money. And it definitely applies to this realm. 
because right now there just isn't as much money flowing through this stuff as I think people really believe. And once it comes down to the reality of the situation, it it's going to truly separate some folks in a surprising way who are the haves and the have nots behind the season college football. Even before NIL came around, no college foot, uh, I shouldn't even limit it to college football. No college athletic program had enough money to meet all their needs, right? Like there's never enough money to do everything right. you need to do. Even the number one most supported college athletic program in the country doesn't have enough money to do everything it wants to do. And college athletics has always been an arms race, right? Like even before NIL, it's about facilities and, and recruiting budgets and all the different money that you need pumped in to your program to do, to compete in all these different areas. And now we just have a more direct way to compete because that money goes directly to the participants. Right. And so it just, it, it blows it up times a billion of what we were already facing in a world where the ncaa works so hard to make sure that all this revenue is generated by athletic departments goes back into the athletic departments to again address what you're talking about the never-ending arms race and trying to accomplish goals and rebuilds and facility upgrades that sometimes just simply do not happen again there are athletic departments right now generating revenue amounts of or record amounts of revenue, and yet they still cannot accomplish some of the things that we discussed. I mean, the OU baseball field, for example, has been discussed as far as a renovation project now for I, I couldn't even tell you how many years. And when do you think that's going to happen? I don't know. But on top of this, because all that money is still separated, right, and there is no bridge into the group that actually makes this stuff happen, that then – falls as an issue into other people's laps. And those people happen to be the people who are not directly affiliated with these universities or athletic programs. And that's why you're going to see even more public displays of, I don't want to say pleading, but asking for further donor and business owner support, because I think you put it perfectly, there's never enough money. And like, why would there suddenly be enough money in a world where we're paying players almost in a professional sense, that the concept of enough money does not exist. Like even in the NFL, once you pay one guy, someone's got to go. You're going to have to make some tough roster decisions. There's never enough money to address every issue. And there are a lot of issues when we talk about name, image, and likeness and the dissociation that it faces from the actual athletic department that it serves. Well, we had a texture as Colin Kennedy joins us here on the Blitz 1170 that when what we were talking about this said, well, how do the Iowa States of the world have money to fund different sports? And that's that's a, a good question, Colby, as you pointed out. But Colin, it's such like on an individualized basis at all these campuses. There's not a one stop shop where one answer fits every program. Some programs have those that have contributed more and that have bought in more than other ones. It's not it's a good question, but it's not an easy question to answer at all because there's more diversity now across the board with funding than there ever has been. I mean, I'm not crazy, right? Iowa State doesn't have a softball team, like example A, right? Like, they're paying for athletic programs, but that doesn't mean they have all of them, let alone how they address the facilities and the recruiting budget and everything else that's needed yeah. to further the support. Like, 
That's right. Yes, yeah, they they pay these these programs. Like that's part of the job, and that's why Iowa State's an FBS program. But they also don't have softball. Their away their away team press conferences take place in their weight room. Uh, Iowa State is not necessarily showcasing these incredible official visit weekends or this that and the other like we talk about haves and have nots in college football for a reason there's still been a gigantic amount of separation because at the end of the day Oklahoma for example is going to be able to support the arms race of not just football but softball and maybe basketball a little bit better than in some instances like a Iowa State or sometimes even like an Oklahoma state. Right. And, and again, like this is kind of almost like a reiteration of the problem that we face in college athletics right now is people think that just the money just gets worked out and all, everything happens the same way at every collegiate athletic department. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Some schools have way more money for recruiting budgets. Some schools have barely any money like at all. And I, and I know this because a lot of, College staffers complain to me how much of a problem it is. And that's now trickling out even further to literally the players that play for these schools. And so, like, I think it's important to remember, yeah, like, they're supporting athletic programs, but the support that even these programs are getting right now, not even take their players off the table, even the programs, the support that they're getting is staunchly different. So why would that concept not apply to the players themselves as well? And here's a here's one thing that you mentioned when you talk about overall programs within an athletic department. Here's the best example that I can give you, and it's recent. So Ross Bjork leaves Texas A&M and goes to Ohio State to be their AD. Texas A&M has 23 athletic programs. Uh, I think we would all consider Texas A&M to be a pretty damn big athletic department, correct? That doesn't yeah. seem to really want for anything. He leaves a program that has 23 athletic programs and goes to Ohio State, who has 36, has 13 more athletic programs to fund and to feed than what he had at Texas A&M, which is a really, really big athletic department. And that, that absolutely plays a role in some of this. And now where we're headed, even more money is have to go into simply the support because may I remind everyone out there, we no longer live in the collegiate athletic space that you once lived in. There are teams on the West Coast who are literally going to have to pay on a weekly basis for cross-country flights and stay and all that travel amenities that has to take place in order for gymnastics team X to go to a meet in New Jersey from the state of California. Like, this is going to happen, and it's not going away. We're heading – towards regionless collegiate athletics. That is a massive issue, people. That is a massive issue for these athletic departments and their spending because it's, they have to fund these things somehow, and it's through the revenue that they're generating. And so part of this is obviously why the NCAA continues to be present in today's landscape, but it doesn't, again, take away from the problem that we're discussing in that with all this other stuff that's going on from an athletic funding perspective, what about the player? And inevitably that falls on the laps of people who are outside these programs and it leads to coaches kind of in a shocking way, taking these public platforms because they literally have to. 
This is all why I think the end game of, of college football at some point, whether it's two years down the road, five years down the road, ten years down the road, is some sort of major separation at the top, right? And Because the reality is football is your, your biggest revenue generator, but it also requires all the money that it's making to continue to, to, to bring in that revenue, right? Or you get completely yep. left behind. I, I, I don't think that the, what, the group think committee that was formed through the SEC and the Big Ten is any sort of, we're here to support the NCAA and everything's okay type of vibe that Greg Sankey tried to convince everybody. We all know that was a load of BS, right? Like, can we go ahead and put that out there? Greg Sankey saying something publicly like, oh, we're only forming a committee of Big Ten and SEC officials to figure out ways to properly incorporate the NCAA in the changing landscape. Like, that's a bunch of baloney, and we all know it. We're all smart people, and we all know where we're headed. We're headed towards, like you mentioned, the inevitable separation of even more collegiate programs beyond the G5 and the P5 and the FCS. Eventually, we're going to essentially get I, – I, I can't think of a better way to phrase it but the AFC and the NFC of the NFL. And, like, once we get there, then we're going to have even more of a trickle-down effect of, okay, because these athletic programs or whatever are part of, like, let's call them the Big 32 or whatever, how do we properly take care of these players? Because now they're essentially part of professional organizations. Like, there's no exact science to this, but this is all the stuff that we're headed towards. And, like – I know people think that it's just a lot of the, the usual stuff that's going on and it's just kind of trickling into some new co- concepts. Like, no, like everything is getting turned over on its head and we don't know where this is going. But the bottom line here is that eventually we're going to get to a place where coaches probably won't have to be publicly pleading for NIL funding from supporters. And that day may come sooner than you think, but it's coming. They just have to figure out how to navigate it right now because, again, the end of the day, the arms race in collegiate athletics just simply is not going anywhere. I'm, I'm curious, switching to OU for a moment before we let you run, what has been the overall reaction from OU fans on your site at the, uh, the over-under number that came out yesterday on OU at seven and a half? I mean, they're pissed, right? Like, I, don't, I don't know what else to say. Um, was it seven and a half or six and a half that they, they finalized on? Seven and a half, I think, is because another website came out today with seven and a half as well. Okay, I, I I saw someone float out six and a half, and I couldn't I couldn't wrap my head around that one to be honest. But here's the thing: like, I get it. I, I mean, objectively, I think we all kind of get it. I, I I think an eight and four year in your first season of the SEC, considering who's on your schedule. I feel will be very productive. Oklahoma fans are going to continue to expect the, the 10 and two, 11 and one seasons. I just don't believe that to be a case, especially early on in this process as the overturn of the roster and the programs continues to go on, you know, Oklahoma as well. Like we were just talking about as one that's also trying to navigate the world of name, image and likeness. And they're not the only one in the sec that's trying to figure this out. But why I mentioned that, there's a lot of stuff that you have to navigate in this transition, and it's going to be something that presents maybe some challenges that need some getting used to. So I don't know. I, I, I think Oklahoma, again, 
eight and four, nine and three to me is productive. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but OU fans that were subscribed to Sooners Illustrated were were upset, and I I understand the reasoning behind it. I can't blame them a hundred percent, but it's also kind of it almost feels like the beginning of the reality check here as the transition to the SEC gets closer. Yeah, of course it is, and look, I, I think that. Would any part of us be shocked next year if OU goes seven and five or six and six? No, like I, I, I'm not saying I think that's what's going to happen, but the schedule alone says that that is within the realm of possibility. And to the point of OU being at the the win total of seven and a half, seven of their twelve opponents have that win total or greater. Like that's the point. Yeah. It's it's not that OU. I, like I don't. I I think if you're looking at that and saying how disrespectful OU is going to be better than what we would consider a seven and five team, yeah, that's probably a true sentiment. But your schedule is loaded with teams that that you could absolutely lose to, even if you're playing good football. So Guys, you know, it's it's just it's this is one of the toughest schedules I think in the country. There's one thing that I I have long firmly believed in i'm very aggressive in this thought process and i'm sure you guys would agree as the reasonable rational consumers of college football your record in college football is never actually who you are you just that's not the case i do not believe for one second that anyone can confidently tell me that any team that maybe finished 10 and 2 in one conference or 8 and 4 in a different conference are staunchly different teams that, like we literally see this play out in bowl season. We talk about things like competition level and things of that nature when we discuss the playoff. Because at the end of the day, what's the whole thing? You're trying to figure out the best teams. And the best teams do not have like this simple formatted schedule that you should check off of a box and immediately grant that team better standing over another. That's just not how this works. And I think there's going to be a really difficult discussion upcoming to where a lot of teams in the SEC, including Oklahoma, several other members of the conference are going to have to have that talk of like the days of 10 and two of old might be more the days of the eight and four, nine and three of today. Because again, a set record is not who you are. It is relative to what is seen on the field and how you perform on a consistent basis. And because of the setting, your concept of just a simple number has to be a little bit more complex if you're going to stay sane in an incredibly, an incredibly competitive conference. Five games against teams with nine and a half or greater, and only one of those is on your home field, and that just happens to be the Alabama Crimson Tide. So, yeah. And oh, just by the for, way, like just for a little context, I don't know. We, we talk so much about the lines of scrimmage in the SEC, right? Like in a year where you're replacing all five starters on the offensive line, guys, there's a ton of teams on that right. schedule for OU next year that have a ton of NFL draft caliber defensive linemen. I'm just putting that out there. Even the minuscule stuff like that can reshape your record. Colin, always appreciate you, my friend. Uh, thanks for making me aware of the caffeine gum. I will be purchasing some in the very near future, and we'll break it all down next Thursday. Yeah, product review next Thursday. All right, gentlemen. <laughs> See you. Colin Kennedy with SoonersIllustrated.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network, joining us here on The Blitz. I'm Colby Daniels. That's Jeremy Poplin. Scott File on the other side of the glass. It is the Jalen Hurts Flush It Poll next here on The Blitz 1170 and streaming on The Blitz 1170 app.